welcome to the ACRI podcast. In this episode, Alexei Moraviev, Associate Professor of National Security and Strategic Studies at Curtin University, joins ACRI Director Professor Bob Carr to discuss the development of Russia-China relations, including the implications for the Indo-Pacific region. I'm joined today by Dr. Alexei Muraviev. Alexei is an Associate Professor of National Security and Strategic Studies at Curtin University. He's the founder and director of the Strategic Flash, Flashlight Forum on National Security and Strategy at Curtin University. He's published widely on matters of national and international security. He advises members of state and federal parliament on foreign policy and national security matters. And it's good to have you on the program, Alexei. Let's start by talking about the parameters to Russia-China relations. What, what are the ground rules here? What are the, what are the inherited positions that you as a, a strategist would highlight? Well, I, I, I would probably identify two principal pillars. One is formulating common strategic agenda, uh, and that ranges from a mutual understanding of um, major pressure points that shape up international and certainly regional affairs where Russia and China would find common synergies where they can work side by side through a number of international uh, uh, mechanisms ranging from the United Nations Security Council to um, uh, to more regional oriented frameworks including the Shanghai Cooperation Organization but also G20 and so on and so forth. Um, a standalone subpillar would be uh, their mutual non-acceptance of the concept of um, what they would describe as U.S.-led international rules-based order, uh, what we understand to be international rules-based board order certainly is, is widely perceived in Moscow, and I understand uh, this view is also shared in, in Beijing. Uh, as, as something that was actually designed and, and effectively managed in, in Washington. So uh, they, they tend to uh, counter the, our proposed for the international rules-based order by, uh, by, by the concept, certainly what the Russians are saying, uh, the rule of law and, um, and following international norms and principles. It may mm. sound similar, but they, they simply would not accept the fact that it, it is something that uh, was shaped up following the end of um, Cold War inspired by polarity. Um, so that would be one strategic pillar, finding common synergies, identifying common, um, um, common trends, identifying a common strategic agenda. Um, the other pillar uh, may, may sound slightly controversial because on one hand uh, it can be described as uh, the, the, the uh, de facto understanding of uh, the, the principle of mutual existence on the basis of watching each other's back. Uh, and that's how you can also look at the way how China-Russia strategic relations have been framed and pursued. But on the other hand, and I think that's perhaps coming more from the Chinese side rather than from the Russian side, uh, refusal to enter into any formal agreements, i.e. alliances or, or unions or 
any sort of relations that would be perceived by third parties as, as a union aimed at third, at third parties. What would be the um, argument on the Chinese side against an alliance with Russia? I would probably think that the Chinese simply don't want to uh, to restrain their freedom of action. I don't. I don't think they are interested in uh, sidelining with uh, any any of the parties. They may not necessarily have something against the Russians per se. Uh, having said that, uh, the two countries enjoy a rather complex past. What I describe as the roller coaster um, uh, evolution in, in of their strategic relations. Um, but I, I, I think the Chinese are quite cautious not to drive themselves in the corner. They want to um, retain uh, freedom of strategic action. They certainly think in way over the horizon. They are thinking a um, few, few decades ahead. So for them, uh, entering some sort of a binding um, and, and through that, restraining agreements is something that I think they're not, they're not prepared to do. They need the Russians, and, and, and this is a very important to, to understand because there is a lot of rhetoric and there is a lot of talk about what sort of a de facto alliance or what sort of a de facto relationship Russia and China can have. And there is a lot of finger pointing that given the inadequate status of uh, the two countries' economies, obviously China being the world powerhouse right now and Russian economy could be roughly compared to the, the size of Italian economy uh, with a vast arsenal of nuclear weapons though. Uh, that, that relationship cannot be adequate prima facie and many Western observers tend to point out that if Russia and China were to enter in some sort of relationship, the Russians would be desperate to have that relationship in the first place Secondly, they would be prepared to play the role of a junior partner, which I think is totally unacceptable to, to Moscow uh, in, in its own right. And, and, that, uh, and, and that contradiction that the, the Russians don't want to play junior partners uh, in, in their relationship with China, and China doesn't want to enter um, a formal relationship with Russia, or perhaps with other powers as well. I, I don't think they discriminate against the Russians here. No, it said that China does not believe in an alliance system. I, I think the Chinese, either, either they are not really ready to, to uh, entertain the, the concept <coughs> of an alliance system, or they simply do not accept them, because uh, uh, it, it, is, it is very hard to actually identify the country that can be described as China's formal ally. Uh, Pakistan comes closest, perhaps, if you eliminate North Korea? Uh, 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 to, to, to an extent, yes, but then uh, if, you, if you start digging in deep, then once, once again you may start running into questions how much uh, reliable China is as a security guarantor to Pakistan. If it would come to a real open strategic confrontation with India, whether China would take sides with Pakistan, as I'm pretty sure Pakistan would like it to do, or whether it would restrain by, uh, by playing, playing the role of a Chinese observer. Um, but coming back to the question about uh, the, the contradictory nature of a de facto alliance, uh, my argument would be that the Russians need the Chinese uh, as, as an alternative to uh, their 
restrain relations with the West. They need Chinese investment. They need uh, access to Chinese market. Uh, they need Chinese political backing, strategic backing, or at least friendly neutrality. Um, but it's not to say that China doesn't need Russia. And that's where, uh, and that becomes particularly uh, evident when you start examining strategic and defense relationship of the two countries. China needs Russian nuclear superpower status. China needs Russia's uh, diplomatic experience. I mean, at the end of the day, Russia has, as the legal successor of the former Soviet Union, has far greater and more robust understanding on how to manage international relations than the Chinese. I think the Chinese learning to play the great public game. Yeah. So in the Middle East, for example, Russia has inherited all that, that experience of the Soviet years in dealing with Iraq, Syria, Egypt. Yeah. Um, China's got nothing like that. It, it hasn't got anything like that. I think the Chinese, are, the Chinese are very careful on learning from mistakes made by both the Soviets, the Russians, but also other parties. But but they still new kid on 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 the block. So um, to to me, it's not surprising at times to see that it is the Russians who uh, choose to go vocal and and openly challenge something. Um, uh, uh, with respect to the United States or or other Western powers, and the Chinese uh, would either back back the Russians in a more clandestine way or abstain when it comes to, for example, voting the UN Security Council, but would not take the real uh, open stand. I think an exception may be the the. Uh, behavior and their positioning with respect to South China Sea dispute, for example, um, or or Taiwan, or something that is close to their shores, but we don't really see the reach, uh, the strategic reach that Russia continues to demonstrate and been demonstrating more overtly uh, in in recent years. Uh, same on 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 the Chinese side. So the Chinese need that experience that the Russians provide them. They need. Um, Russia's political uh, experience. They need Russia's nuclear weapons. Not, not. I'm not proposing here that China wants Russia's nuclear umbrella, but it's a bargaining chip. It's a bargaining chip in their dealings uh, with the West, and uh, with respect to um, uh, security and defense cooperation. Russia is the only major military power with which China has very close uh, defense relations. You refer to that as strategic intimacy between the two nations. Well, I, I, I refer to strategic intimacy uh, in, in a broader way, political, but, but certainly military, where, where we yet to understand the level of, uh, the level of engagement ranging from uh, sharing um, uh, an understanding of, of, uh, of a broader geostrategic uh, picture down to operational and, and even tactical levels uh, in intelligence and information sharing, uh, including in highly sensitive matters such as ballistic missile defense, where the Russians, for example, allowed Chinese military into their strategic nerve center in Moscow, where they staged two simulated computer games aid at neutralizing um, uh, U.S. Um, ABM capability in the Pacific, something that really speaks of highest levels of confidence that the two countries put, one another, 
put into one another re uh, despite the fact that they don't have any formal uh, alliance uh, relationships. So the Chinese military, um, as, as part of their modernization, as part of their maturity, uh, for them the relationship with the Russian military, which is combat experience, battle-hardened force, uh, that still provides China with uh, some key advanced military technologies that the Chinese are still learning to, to develop, gives them that much needed experience that they cannot uh, generate even when they exercise with Western militaries because we still need to remember that China is under sanctions following Tiananmen uh, events of 1989. It is, it is the Russians who have no problems in going an extra mile and, and uh, working uh, with China in areas, in, in sensitive areas where Western militaries and, and Western governments would not be prepared to to go in and, and engage. And, and and obviously the two countries uh, uh, um, have a reality check with regards to their immediate security and strategic concerns. Russia needs to manage NATO. Russia needs to manage its southern underbelly. China wants to achieve security of its immediate perimeter and, and continue with a strategic push down south. Both countries understand the complexities and fear of confronting uh, enemies onto France. So they need to have uh, rears of both countries secured, yep. safe and protected. So it is a, 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 a state of mutual interdependence, strategic interdependence, not the relationship of uh, un, un, uneven partners. Are they competing, at least at some level, in trying to get an accommodation with this unpredictable U.S. president? I would, I would certainly argue that, uh, uh, despite what may seem to come across as a fairly rosy picture, the Russians and the Chinese are in a state of soft competition. China's proposed uh, new Sol uh, Silk Road concept uh, contradicts Russia's strategic intent of presenting itself as a strategic transit state to the Asian community as well as to the European community. So the Russians want to put on a brave face about them, about that, and say that they're welcoming this new development. I mean, to, to paraphrase uh, remarks made by Russia's President Vladimir Putin, uh, they believe it's uh, beneficial, etc. But the reality is it would offer a, an alternative to what the Russians are aggressively promoting, ranging from their uh, upgraded railway network based around the Trans-Siberian Railway that they are um, uh, in, in the process of um, refitting to increase their transit capacity to the Northern Sea Route, which, uh, uh, which they are planning to open up, including to the Chinese, as, as a viable alternative to sail across Asia via the Suez and, and reduce the travel time by about half to what um, um, uh, merchant companies uh, spend these days. Uh, obviously uh, competing for influence in, across the Indo-Asia-Pacific. The, the Russians understand that the Chinese are moving in, uh, in, mass, in mass, they are buying in bulk and uh, and the Russians want a slice of that of that pie, even even when it comes to arms sales. The fact that the Chinese have successfully reversed engineered 
some key Russian or Soviet-made technologies that uh, the Russians were providing them at time of times of the economic desperation, um, and now uh, provi uh, presenting them as their own expert commodities at at more competitive prices. So they they offer in similar systems, but at a cheaper cost. The quality is a different story, but nonetheless, they are uh, they are securing niche markets in in countries that cannot afford any advanced western weaponry or even struggle to afford more affordable russian advanced military technology so there is a degree of soft competition between between russia and china but again i think uh, it's still it's still being managed carefully by both sides to ensure that no antagonization would cloud that uh, that ongoing need for strategic interdependence, and 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 certainly with respect to the United States, uh, well, it's a, it's a bit hard to to say. I think the Russians have mixed still mixed feelings about Trump. They they still live in this desperate hope that Trump can be taken seriously with his election promises on fixing U.S.-Russia relations, and every time something goes pear-shaped. Russian media almost like jumps onto defense of Trump saying, well, he's a good guy, but it is the Congress, it is Washington political establishment that curtails everything that Trump is trying to do. And, and, and I'm not really sure whether the, Ch the Chinese want to have a repetition of, um, of the Nixon success of, of, of 1972. Uh, again, to, to my mind, and I'm not going to call myself China specialist, I don't think the Chinese are prepared to play the role of a junior partner. And at that time, certainly China was played by the United States as a junior partner where they capitalized on, on antagonism in Sino-Soviet relations and, and gave China a window of an opportunity when it desperately needed. What's the biggest difference, the biggest public divergence in their diplomatic positions in recent years? I think uh, the probably the most uh, significant difference is, uh, is the question of the precedent in, in international relations linked to uh, acknowledging and uh, legalizing uh, referendums that would be questioned by the international community. I'm talking about territorial uh, the question of territorial integrity of, of established countries. Um, so this means Crimea? It's not just Crimea. I mean, for the, for the Russians, it all started with a recognition of Kosovo. Mm. They made it very clear at that time, and obviously playing the, the, the role of Serbia's uh, historical, cultural, and strategic ally, that once you recognize Kosovo, and there was no referendum in Kosovo at that time, it was a, effectively a decision based on the West understanding of what was happening in Kosovo prior to um, uh, NATO's uh, in, in intervention, that that would set up a precedent. Uh, at that time, Russia uh, were, or Russia's wishes and were, Russia's concerns were effectively ignored. The Russians acted on it in 2008 when they recognized uh, the, the independence of two breakaway provinces of Georgia, Abkhazia and Southern Ossetia. Obviously, the Chinese had mixed feelings about that because uh, on one hand, perhaps they want to do something like that, but on the other hand, it, it, it really puts into question the, the, the status of Taiwan and their, 
and the push to have one China not uh, having two Chinas in existence. Crimea put additional strain on, on, on this quiet discussion between the Chinese and the Russians because the Russians desperately needed China's su support or at least friendly neutrality, though they would probably prefer a more vocal expression of, of, of support. Uh, the Chinese did not respond in, in, in any way. They they chosen to, to abstain, uh, and again, I think because they didn't want to cause a precedent in their own neighborhood by effectively um, uh, uh, throwing their support behind Russia, also given given the political fallout between Russia and the West, I think the Chinese are quite careful in not undermining any uh, their ties uh, with the West. The last attempt for the Russians to reverse that attitude of China was made by Putin in September 2016, when he was being in China, um, uh, clarified Russia's position on South China Sea and effectively sidelined uh, Russia's view on South China Sea with, with the Chinese view. I think it was a, a, a clear signal to Beijing that we are prepared to take sides in South China Sea dispute despite the fact that up until then the Russians were trying to be quite balanced and try to divorce themselves from, uh, from regional engagement given the complexity of their relations with Vietnam with other members involved in South China Sea dispute, but on condition that China would then have to take a position on Crimea. So far the Chinese haven't really come across in a quite positive way about, about Crimea, so to me that represents the question of sovereign right of people with respect to self-determination versus territorial integrity of um, international, international actors represents uh, the most uh, vivid and the most immediate milestone where the Russians and the Chinese tend to at least quietly disagree. And where would they, what would be the priority issue where their interests are perfectly aligned, where they're in most emphatic agreement? I would probably say challenging US supremacy and, and, and dominance. I think both the Russians and the Chinese are concerned about U.S. strategic monopoly and, and, and the desire to retain that strategic monopoly and also by means of imposing um, uh, uh, that rules-based order concept that both countries tend to, uh, tend to despise, not ne necessarily because they may be in disagreement with um, uh, norms and regulations, but simply because they believe that this is something that has been uh, imposed upon them by, by Washington rather than something that they would willingly come to an agreements. I think the, 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 the question of uh, unilateralism and in international relations is something that was of an, an ongoing concern. In fact, when you hear uh, public releases and uh, uh, public speeches made by uh, statespersons of, uh, of, of China and Russia ranging from um, heads of state to foreign ministers to um, uh, key figures in uh, ministries of defense of both nations. 
they almost uh, synchronize in the way how they uh, identify those problems and, and they and they condemn them in, in, in fairly strong terms. So to me, that certainly is something that brings together China and Russia and ally, uh, allows them to unify and synchronize their positions. And we can go into identifying uh, subcontext. Uh, uh, one, 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 uh, one example would be the question of um, uh, strategic nuclear deterrence and how it can be challenged by fielding um, uh, strategic deterrent uh, systems such as ballistic missile defense. Both China and Russia have very strong views and, and they simply do not accept uh, U.S. unilateralism also after the United States withdrew from the 1972, if I'm not mistaken, ABM, ABM treaty and began fielding it uh, uh, unilaterally. So for them, retaining strategic stability, for them, avoiding unilateralism, for them, perhaps, working through the mechanisms of the United Nations where they can uh, maximize the use of their right of veto and at the same time present their viewpoints and table them uh, is something that would um, would form part of their of their strategic ag agenda for the time being. Not much in this for Australia, is there? Um, the Russians don't take Australia seriously. They see us as as a uh, another state of the U.S. Um, it's different with China. Um, is Russia likely to play a markedly bigger role anywhere in the Pacific? Surely they haven't got the resources to do that, and they'd leave it to China anyway. Well, they probably still want to play their own, uh, their own independent game. The Russians have been very busy developing uh, a mix of bilateral relationships by reanimating ties with all Soviet allies and, and France, and they've been quite successful in doing that. Leave alone China, Vietnam would be a, a, um, a standalone story. Uh, so is India, and we need to be mindful about uh, India's uh, ongoing strategic relationship with Russia, particularly when we start getting enthusiastic about uh, India's interest in the Quad and how far India is prepared to enter into any form of... Not very far at all, is my observation, Absolutely. for a number of reasons, and the Russia relationship would be only one small part of why they're not making a serious commitment to the quad. Absolutely, and we need to remember that India was one of the founding members of non-aligned movement, mm. so, uh, and they tried to remain non-aligned with, with a bit of question marks even during the Cold War years, where countries were almost compelled to take sides. Um, uh, the Russians managed to break into, into new countries with which the Soviet Union had either zero relations or very poor relations. Pakistan would be um, um, a, a significant breakthrough. Um, same goes for the Philippines, uh, Myanmar, uh, Indonesia. Again, we uh, we remember there was a period of heightened uh, geopolitical tensions uh, in in the seventies and the eighties followed a, a period of almost like miraculous friendship at the turn of, of the 60s between the Soviet Union and Indonesia. The Russians show interest in Pacific Islands. Yes, they cannot bring into, into the region 
same magnitude of infrastructure projects and then kind of support the way how the Chinese are bringing in. But they here for a reason. Russia has a long-standing strategic interest in the Pacific. They have been part of the Pacific strategic community since mid-18th century. So Russia is not new to this part of the world. They have historic links, they have historic ties. They need the region for a number of reasons. One uh, would be geostrategic. Russia wants to have access to uh, offshore infrastructure, not necessarily opening up bases uh, similar to what the Soviet Union did, but they want to support their forward operations. And why they want to showcase their strategic power and strategic reach because Russian business wants to come into this area, is coming into this area, is very hungry, it's, it's uh, desperately looking for new markets, particularly uh, in the light of ongoing uh, trade war between Russia and, and the EU and the United States. Uh, it wants to uh, be given assurances and, and provisions. So for Russia, it is a, a region of opportunity given the overall fluctuation of um, um, uh, regional, regional affairs and the fact that uh, regional powers are prepared not to play zero-sum game. They're prepared to develop multi-vectoral approach in their foreign policies. They're prepared not to take sides but to be friends with, with a number of countries. And it may also come as a surprise, but Russia actually presents itself as a third pole of power toward the Indo-Asia-Pacific community starts uh, considering once again to be a new, a new um, game of the big two. So the Russians effectively are saying, you may, you may be hesitant about the way how the Americans lecture you about your values and how you should live your life and, and so on and so forth. We totally understand it. You may also be overwhelmed with the way how the Chinese are coming into the area and buying everyone in bulk and, and asserting their presence by using soft power on a, on a magnitude never been seen in, in the past. So if you're concerned about these two, guess what? We are here, we can work with you, we can engage in targeted relationships. Alexi, I'm looking forward to a front page story in, in an Australian newspaper about a huge Russian base for Port Moresby or for Kiribati, and we can have a real Russia panic in Australia to rank with the recent China panic we've passed through. I think that'd be a rich experience for all of us. Well, I mean, we can we can certainly play play it as as something that the Russians are prepared to do. Though in 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 reality, uh, I mean, in reality, the Russians have returned back to uh, returned back to Kamran Bay. Uh, though they haven't really re-established a formal base there, but they have privilege of uh, of using the facility there. Um, More than the Americans have in Cameron Bay? Yes, uh, the Russians have uh, privileged rights of uh, first port call, so effectively they can, their ships can, can approach the base and make a port call in, in port simply saying we're coming in. And America uh, hasn't got that... Uh no, they haven't got that. Of hospitality. Uh, Alexi, thank, thank you very much. I think we've run out of time. But that is, uh, I think for a lot of Australians, that is altogether a fascinating subject. Alexi, thank you very much. Um, thank you for uh, being part of our strategic community as well. It's been very good to have you on the program. Thanks very much for having me. 
If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to the Acri podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also listen to all episodes on our website, australiachinarelations.org. There you'll also find out more about Acri's research and events. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Acri underscore UTS and on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.